Hey, this is Erin May. And this is Carol Guest. And this is Awkward Silences. Awkward Silences is brought to you by User Interviews, the fastest way to recruit targeted, high-quality participants for any kind of research. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Brian DeSano. Brian is a staff UX research lead at eBay. And today we've got an interesting, fun, never done before topic, which I'm so excited about. We're going to talk about the chaos theory of conference networking. Stay with us. This is going to be fun. Great to have Brian on this episode, someone who kind of fell into events and UX research naturally, organically, and has fallen in love with them and has tons of great tips on taking advantage of events and just sort of the beautiful serendipity of events. I learned a lot talking with him. What did what did you learn, Carol? Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to share this episode. I learned so much about UX events. I learned what events to go to, how to prepare and think who you want to meet ahead of time. And then when you get there, how to take advantage of all of the tracks plus offline, online things that are happening with events. So I am genuinely really excited after this conversation to go and check out some UXR events and uh, use all the tips that Brian shared. Fantastic. Hope you are too. Uh, enjoy this listen. Thanks, everybody. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Awesome. We got Carol here, too. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Excited to dig into this topic. And I'm newer on the UX conference circuit, so I'm excited to to dig in and hear what happens there. Oh, yeah. We got to get you got to get you out there, Carol. Uh, so, Brian, tell us, what is the chaos theory of conference networking events? Yeah. So if we break it down first into the chaos theory part, when we think about chaos theory, there is this apparent randomness in complex systems. And within those complex systems, there could exist underlying patterns. A very common metaphor that we see a lot in pop culture about chaos theory is this butterfly effect, where a butterfly may flap its wings somewhere in Texas, but that could end up being a tornado somewhere in Brazil. So ultimately, one thing leads to another. And despite things being random, there are also these opportunities for serendipity to pop up. Right, right. Also an Ashton Kutcher movie, I think, if I remember correctly. The butterfly effect, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's relevant somehow. But yeah, so the point being, right, you go to these events and you're, you know, I think especially in a work context, we want things to be linear and have clear causal, if A, then B. And you're saying, actually, there's this beautiful chaos of, pleasantly unpredictable things that might happen in a kind of real life event setting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one example that I can share with the audience today is how I ended up on this podcast. So I currently volunteer as a conference chair for UXPA or the User Experience Professionals Association. Last year, I was one of the conference chairs for the design psychology track. And when I actually went to the conference one of the booths that I stumbled across was user interviews. I was able to really chat with the folks who were at that vendor exhibit and ultimately had an awesome conversation. I wanted to learn more about you know, what opportunities user interviews was doing to engage its broader community. And after the conference, was able to follow up with those folks. And that ultimately... <laughs> yielded an invitation to join the User Interviews Research Council. Afterward, User Interviews organized a happy hour in New York City. That's where I'm currently based. And I was able to attend that happy hour where I met Erin, uh, one of the uh, hosts of this podcast. And from the conversation that we had at that hangout, 
uh, had really great opportunities to learn about what user interviews was doing to enhance upcoming products and just to get a sneak peek in, into what was going on in their product development process. Much later, was able to follow up with Aaron or Aaron followed up with me and that somehow landed in an opportunity to speak on this podcast. And that was not something that I was predicting uh, that would happen to me from UXPA, but I think just being very open to new opportunities and being uh, very approachable and finding serendipity in any sort of event where it can happen, I think had just a, a beautiful outcome, even though it was totally <laughs> unplanned and unexpected. <laughs> I love this progression. I feel like I'm someone who, similar to what Aaron described, I want to more clearly know the outcome when I go into something. Like I want to sign up. I want to know what's going to happen, who I'm going to talk to, what's going to happen next. I guess I wonder just how is this part of what you get from being a part of these groups and being a part of events? Uh, and, and you just have to go in sort of an open mind, as you said. Yeah, I think that's part of what it involves or what it entails just having this open mindset and not having a prescribed way of just approaching, for example, an event or a conference, but just being very open and seeing where things can go, I think has been part of my learning journey as a researcher. I'm very type A, so I, I, I know what it means to like, really want to have clear and planned outcomes. But there are also just some things that we can't plan for. And for me, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job with just embracing all possibilities. I'm taking a lot of, and drawing a lot of inspiration from everything, everywhere, all at once, where mm. you know we could live in a, a multiverse of choice and possibility. So why not yeah. let that you know manifest itself to you? Yeah, that's great. So many movies. Now I'm thinking of past lives, right? The what if, like all these parallel things that could happen. But, but yeah, yeah. Not, and not to for like. So we're talking about spontaneity, about like unintended or unimagined or uncontrollable positive outcomes that can come from something. So not to try to bend the nature of that into something you can harness and control, <laughs> but being someone who self-identifies as type A, um, I think you also mentioned maybe on the introvert side of things, can you put yourself in the way of positive outcomes in an event kind of setting? Yeah, I believe even for folks who are introverted like myself, there are ways that you can create conditions that benefit your time at, for example, events where there is a lot of networking involved, there's a lot of talking involved. Even if it's a remote event or an in-person event, as an introvert for me, it always helps to understand and identify how I can recharge my own battery. And for me, I try to schedule in opportunities where I can just isolate myself for a bit from large crowds or large audiences, see if I can either take a quick walk around the block of that in-person event or just schedule some like bio breaks throughout these online events so that I can actually just decompress for a bit before I have to throw myself back into networking mode. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I, I know more events these days, especially post-COVID, right? The, on the one hand, people are hungry to get back to events. On the other hand, the burden is, I think, stronger for an event organizer. You got to really give people a reason to leave their house, maybe even fly to your event, right? And so part of that is building them in more of an inclusive way for folks who have different appetites for networking and want to get kind of different things out of these events. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to go a level deeper here on thinking about, I, you know, as an introvert myself, I feel like when I have gone to events, it has been very overwhelming. And I just, I'm not sure what I'm trying to achieve always, right? Like and sometimes I have a random conversation with some person and does that end up going anywhere unclear? 
You mentioned planning ahead. You mentioned thinking about breaks. Like, I wonder if you have an in-person event, if there are, I don't know, specifically, are you looking at the schedule ahead of time? Are you looking at the venue? Are you looking at attendees to see who you want to talk to? Like, how do you plan ahead? Yeah, I think all of the above for what you just mentioned. So for me, I think the true conference experience starts before the actual conference where I'm looking at the attendee list. Oftentimes, many conferences nowadays have a companion mobile app where, for example, if it's on Whova, which what I've been seeing, or if it's a custom homebrewed app, uh, usually you can see who's attending, uh, whether or not there are they are in person or they're attending remotely. And you can see, for example, you could typically see if they're going to be a speaker or if they're an organizer or if they have some other role in the conference. This is a really great opportunity to, for example, if you wanted to work on a paper with someone or a project, having an opportunity for you to schedule some time either to meet at the conference or even before the conference starts, will at least put you in a position where you're making the time work for you. And I always want to make sure that whenever I invest my time and energy going to a conference, I'm really there to prioritize networking. Usually the content or the conference proceedings or even the presentations is archived later. And I can just access that that content after the fact and just really use that in-person time to really have those really important like coffee chats or catching up with old connections I haven't seen in a while or creating an opportunity to collaborate with folks who I know only on social media but have not yet met in person. I think that and just being really intentional with scheduling is is key to making the most out of your time at these conferences. And it also helps to, you know, make sure that you are aware of what types of social events are happening at these functions as well. For some of the remote conferences that I've seen, I've seen some of these events have like open break rooms where you could pop in and pop out, or they might have some gamification element where they're tracking who has the most engaging content from the conference hashtag. Those could be possibilities where you open up room for collaboration or those serendipitous conversations to occur online. Uh, For the in-person events, there might be, for example, an informal 5K or a morning run that people are organizing that might not be part of the actual event, but is more social in nature. That could also be an opportunity where you get to meet attendees and talk about things that are outside the domain of the actual conference Mm -hmm. and get to know the attendees on a more personal human level. That's great. So taking advantage of all this information, who's going, what stuff's happening ahead of time. Brian, how much do you uh, sort of plot out? I'm like, do you have, okay, this person, I really want to connect with this person, specific people you want to try to kind of find a way to connect with, or how do you, what do you do with that information once you sort of, okay, this is what we're working with at this event? Yeah, it always helps to use your network to network. Mm. And oftentimes when you're going to these events, you would at least have a secondary or even a third degree connection with the people that you want, you want to meet. So if you already know that you have a shared LinkedIn connection together or if they are from an institution where you've had a previous collaborator, you could usually ask that person to give you a soft intro so that there would be a, a greater opportunity for that connection to happen in person. And you're not approaching that person coldly. And instead, you're getting that that warm introduction from a shared connection. I think that always helps me whenever I would want to meet with someone or to collaborate with someone so that they already know that I am either in the periphery or adjacent to their existing network. And I imagine, let's see the right way to frame this. 
how do you actually think about, this is very basic, but how do you actually think about the people that you want to meet? Is it a combination? You mentioned people that you know on social media, maybe their company is doing interesting work, or maybe you happen to know what type of work they're interested in. I'm just curious how you get to a level of knowing the right people you're trying to seek out. Yeah. And for me in answering that question, I think it, I look at it as, you know, where am I in my research career and how can this event help me go to where I want to go next? When I was doing my PhD program, a lot of the emphasis was on publications, publications, publications. So a lot of the, for example, ACM or Association for Computing Machinery Conferences that I attended were really focused on finding key collaborators in my space and having an opportunity to either network with them or be in the same sort of doctoral consortium or graduate cohort so that I can bounce ideas back and forth and perhaps even co-organize panels or future working groups together. Now, as a UX research practitioner, I'm using these conferences as an opportunity to perhaps uh, refer future teammates or to see if there are any potential interns that might want to work on my team or to even uh, find engagements with future UXR vendors. And at this stage of my career, I'm looking to see you know, wh- who would be really great collaborators in UX research, where would be great opportunities where we could elevate you know, certain company brands uh, that have a very shared mission or are aligned in where they want to advance the field. Uh, so that's how I would approach the type of either people or entities that I would want to connect with at these events. I'm loving this. I'm loving hearing how you approach it and then also imagining you at these various events. I want to join an event you're going to. So Yeah, imagine yourself at these events, Carol. I I see it for you. I see it. It's going to happen. Brian, I don't know about you, but I have found that UX researchers, people who do research, are pretty nice and approachable and that there are quite a few sort of introvert-leaning folks in the mix. So you you might find yourself in good company and, and people are just looking for that connection and are, are quite nice regardless of seniority, right? Like what sort of company they're working at. I've, I've found people to be pretty approachable. Have you found that as well? I have. And perhaps maybe that's just a function of our field being very understanding or, <laughs> you know, having a lot of the topics or training centered around empathy. Mm-hmm. or whatever that means. Sure. Uh, so I think, you know, because a lot of the work that we do engages humans, there is also that propensity to not only understand the space, but really find common ground with one another at these events. So talk a little bit about how you can sort of plan ahead of time. You know, you have some people you might want to meet. There's some different activities going on. We're taking some breaks if we need them to kind of recharge our batteries. In terms of, you know, putting yourself opening up to, I don't know, maybe I'll meet somebody and I don't know what's going to come out of it, right? Do you have any tips to kind of put yourself in the right frame for being open to let the positive chaos unfold? Yeah, oftentimes just putting yourself out there and being brave in a uncomfortable spot would be a way for you to just grow. I think for me as a researcher, I've also come to really embrace rejection or looking at rejection as an opportunity to redirect to different opportunities, especially at these networking events. You know, you're, you might not be able to be friends with everyone, but I think at least finding one or two solid people that you've been able to find, you know, attending the certain sessions with you, or you see them uh, throughout the conference, 
for me, I I usually have to like warm up before I make the first move to approach someone. And that's why I always want to see if there's any way that I can find common ground with the people that I'd want to connect with. I would also emphasize, you know, just being vulnerable and seeing where that vulnerability can take you to. I, I think it's really a challenge, especially when we're coming out of the pandemic and we've just been so isolated for for some time where people are now getting back into the the gears of motion of what it means to shake someone's hand and what it means to share an actual hug. I think there are ways that these conferences are, are easing the opportunity to connect attendees with each other. I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling like I want to know what are the next, for people who are maybe newer to the UX conference circuit, what are the conferences that are top of mind for you? What should people have on their radar? Yeah. When I was trying to identify and moving out of the academic space and moving more into this practitioner space, I tried to find different directories online that could recommend different UXR conferences to me. One that has been highly recommended to me by my colleagues is UXR Conf. And from my own experience, I, I found really strong content and it's free registration for online attendees. And I think free has been the key for me to at least see what the the space is about. And oftentimes, even at these free events, there's a lot of either back channeling on the stream chat or the conference app or even any affiliated Discord or Slack channels. And even those back channels can be super helpful in finding opportunities to connect with other folks who might be looking for their next role or might be pivoting into the UXR discipline or who are also in the position where they're hiring for talent. So that's been super helpful. That's what you have on one end of the spectrum where the event registration is free. And then on the other end of the spectrum, for example, like UXPA, the event registration could be upwards to the thousands of dollars. Um, and you know, in that case, usually the registrations are priced that way because of all the logistics involved with planning these in-person events planning for the food, planning for the room, the venue space, the audio and video, planning for the speakers. So you'll have a high production, high quality event like UXPA, but it does come at a hefty registration cost. Oftentimes though, a number of companies are very supportive in providing learning budgets for their employees to attend these events. So for those in the audience who might be curious in attending events that do have hefty registration fees, I'd recommend looking into what your company can provide as resources for either traveling or registering for these types of conferences. Yeah, that's great. And that UXR Conf is going to be in June, and there's a live component in person and then a remote that you can live stream into free. We'll be there. Um, we'll be at UXPA, and we're also having a remote event called UXYOUX, our second one, March 19th. So hope to see you awesome. there, Brian, and yeah. also folks uh, listening. Because I think you're right. There's, you know, obviously budget's a constraint, time and the logistics of travel. Hopefully your company does have a learning budget, but your time is valuable too. So you want to really, you know, think about what's going to be a good use of, of your time. I know we were talking about a lot of events will list kind of the agenda, the speakers ahead of time, but you can also reach out to coordinators for more information too. They'll gladly share to kind of vet, is this something worth my learning budget, worth my time to travel for? Or do I maybe want to just do the the remote piece too? 
Yeah, you bring up a really good point. And I remember earlier on in my career, I was juggling both the conference content and then the job. And I've just learned over time, you know, it's just better to have an out of office message ready and to just fully focus on the conference so that your headspace can be really devoted to learning either new content or meeting new people, strengthening those relationships. The job, you know, can you can always return to the job later. You can always catch up on email later, but you'll really make the most out of your time if you can really focus on the conference program and schedule meetings or schedule coffee chats with people that you really want to meet. That's where I think the biggest value add is of these conferences. I almost think of it like, like you know, an active recovery from from exercise where you got to get away from the day-to-day grind sometimes to, you know, keep things sharp and creative and, and what, but you're not going to the beach. It's like still work. It's right. Relevant to your, but it's taking that step away from the day-to-day, I think can be really helpful and inspiring your day-to-day work as well. Cool. Carol, you're thinking something over Ooh. there. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, maybe just maybe a few thoughts here. One is, uh, we've talked about at least three events. I know, um, I think I think we put out, Aaron right, an annual list of top events to attend. We do, year, so we do. Yeah, I can... we'll, we'll be sure to link that one there in the show notes so everyone can see that. I believe I've stumbled across that too when I was searching for more conference opportunities. And that has always been a fantastic resource. You know, we always ask people uh, at events, we're like, what, what else are you going to? What are your favorites, right? Because we want to know. And a popular one, now I'm forgetting the name of it, but we'll put it in the notes is in Amsterdam. We're like, I guess we're going to have to go to Amsterdam. <laughs> so do you know the one I'm talking about, Brian? It's, um, is that uh, UX Strat? I think, something else? Uh, I think something else, but it's, you know, it's UX. There's, there's so many of yeah, them. Yeah, there's so many, so many. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think related to this point is the question of, given that there are so many, I- I'm curious, Brian, how many are you attending in a given year? And then how do you decide maybe the top, the, the ones that you're going to go to? Yeah, I'd say... Maybe I'm attending anywhere from five to 10, but more than half of those are usually like the free online ones where I would register for the conference, go to maybe one or two actual presentations. I What I like about a lot of these free or remote friendly conferences is that a lot of the attendees also circulate like a LinkedIn contact sheet sort of on the ground. It's very grassroots and it's another opportunity for you to connect with other researchers or those who want to pivot into UX research. And they also usually, again, have that companion Slack or Discord channel. So I'm in a lot of those spaces as well. Um, but for me, I tend to prioritize the conferences where I play more than an active role of just being an attendee. The ones that I prioritize, for example, as of more recent, is UXPA, the User Experience Professional Association, where I'm, again, one of the conference organizers and I'm able to play a really pivotal role in looking at the conference submissions and curating what would be a great program for attendees. Um, And earlier in my career, when I was more on the publishing side of churning research papers, I would go to like ACM CHI, which is the premier venue for human computer interaction research. Uh, But again, for me, the incentive structures back then were just more on the publication route. So for now, I I tend to prioritize the opportunities where I can lead or curate programs. And I go to all these other UXR conferences because I'm curious to see who else is presenting really interesting ideas in the space. Could I perhaps invite them to submit something for the conference that I'm organizing? Or can they share this conference that I'm organizing with their network? So I think there's many opportunities to have that reciprocal relationship 
where you're either promoting your events or you're inviting people to become part of yours. Awkward interruption. This episode of Awkward Silences, like every episode of Awkward Silences, is brought to you by user interviews. We know that finding participants for research is hard. User interviews is the fastest way to recruit targeted, high-quality participants for any kind of research. We're not a testing platform. Instead, we're fully focused on making sure you can get just-in-time insights for your product development, business strategy, marketing, and more. Go to userinterviews.com awkward to get your first three participants free. Now that you've been part of this circuit, if you will, for a little bit longer, are you finding, you know, you mentioned, for example, you get these grassroots lists of LinkedIn profiles being shared. Are you then finding opportunities to, you know, okay, we met digitally. Now I'll go meet you in person at an event in the future. And you kind of build these hybrid, right? Digital in-person relationships over time across different events? Yeah, absolutely. And before I connect with anyone on LinkedIn, I always do my best, like send them a note saying, you know, waving hello from UXRCom or waving right, hello right. from this conference, just so that, you know, if they decide to continue on the conversation, I'd have a historical record of how we've been able to connect. And I think that's also been super helpful in seeing where these relationships can go, especially if, you know, they, if we have the same professional interest in mind. Yep. Great. Um, that reminds me of how I, I have like all my kids, parents and my phone as like, you know, Stacy's mom. <laughs> it's like, how do I know this person? Give me some context, right? How did I meet you? And then uh, maybe you met over, uh, you know, a joke or a shared interest. You know, on that note, you talked about networking and that being really the value of these events. Do you have any icebreakers or tips for just the pragmatics of, because I know that's difficult for a lot of people. There's all these people I'm supposed to be networking with. You know, maybe I did a warm intro ahead of time. Great. But yeah, any tips for making it easier to kind of start some of those conversations? Yeah, some quick opening questions that you can ask anyone attending the conference. You could ask them, hey, what did you think about the keynote speaker? Or what are you hoping to get the most out of this conference? And when I'm in networking mode, it always helps to communicate the value that I can bring to them up front so that there is intention with the way that we are, uh, you know, having conversation and they're, you know, again, being intentional with creating these opportunities to collaborate. They might already be on the cusp of having a really good idea out there, but they might not know how to package it or present it in a compelling way. If, if that's something that I can add value to how they can package that or share that outwardly, I think that's something that I always try my best to communicate. That way you're not just having an aimless conversation, but you're having a, a conversation with intention. Mm. Can you give a, a little more example of what that might look like? I feel like I love this idea and concept, but I can't quite picture <laughs> <Carol> it. needs <laughs> help. <laughs> I'm like, I have value. I'm going to add to this conversation. Is that how you do it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. For example, you might... Uh, at, at UXPA, there could be different tracks. There might be a track for early career researchers. There might be a track for those who are more senior in their field. And if, for example, someone wanted to give a talk about finding belonging in the workplace or sharing common challenges that they're encountering as a UX researcher, that could already be something that I have a strong point of view on. And if I communicate that earlier on in that conversation, I could bring a good perspective on how they might want to 
tackle that problem that they're working on, or if they wanted to present this or find other researchers and build a community off of a certain topic, that's something that I can help connect them to to other people who have thought about this problem previously. They might also just be someone who might be pivoting to UX research and they might have an existing problem or they might have an existing way of thinking about something, but they might not necessarily have either the literature or the background or the methodological perspective. And then that's something that I could either entertain or tell them, hey, have you thought about solving this problem from this approach? Or have you thought about looking at the problem from this lens? Then, you know, that could be a way that that conversation can evolve. And, you know, if if I'm, for example, organizing a, a workshop or a panel on like race and technology, and if I knew that they expressed interest in uh, inclusion and belonging, that might be something where I can bring them onto the panel that I'm organizing and they can also present you know, their perspective too. So it's this awesome flywheel of consistent collaboration. And you might not even from that conversation have an immediate uh, connection at that moment, but perhaps maybe two or three or four or five years down the line where you are now in a different position and or affiliated with a different institution and you're trying to connect with others who birds of a feather might want to present another panel or a working group, you can think back to, or you can search in your your LinkedIn inbox for folks who've had certain themes in either the introduction or in the conference. And you can remember, oh, I met this one person at this one conference and I knew that they were really passionate about this topic. Let's bring them into the fold. Mm-mm. Huh. I think part of what you're saying about adding value, I think it resonates that someone who is maybe more senior or a lot of experience in setting up conferences, you know, you can, you have a lot that you can give to others. I'm wondering someone who's coming in, maybe a newer UX researcher, what does that look like for them? Is it, is it about adding values, about showing curiosity, showing interest? I just wonder how, what that looks like for someone newer to the field. Yeah. For someone newer to the field, I think it can be just what, what you said, what it means to just, you know, be curious and you really help them look at what they can get out of or how you the field can help them and progress their own ideas. I think especially for those who are pivoting into UXR, some common themes that I've seen at, at the conferences I've attended looked at imposter syndrome or looked at, you know, how they can bring transferable skills, for example, from market research or from data science and how that is either repurposed or how that is presented it through a UX research lens. Hmm. Back to the remote conference. So we've talked, we've gone back and forth a bit between in-person and remote. And I think one of the challenges with remote is always that networking piece of, we know that the main value of conferences for most people, particularly once you've been in your field for a few years, is not necessarily the content itself, but really, you know, the networking piece of it. What are your tips for making the most out of networking opportunities for a remote conference environment? For the remote conference environment, it always helps to see what existing programs are the conference organizers putting in place to create these new interactions or to create these new connections. Sometimes, or what I've been seeing in the conferences that I've attended are these open stages where people could come and come out. There's also coffee chats where people can uh, sign up for a slot and meet up with someone on a certain topic. And, you know, I think some conferences do a really good job with asynchronous communication where you don't necessarily have to 
be there in real time. But you can, for example, like a asynchronous job board, you can put an idea out there. And if someone wants to pile on or someone wants to, you know, join your group or join your project, you know, that could be a really great opportunity. I've found also really great conversations in Discord or Slack whenever that's communicated or advertised, as sometimes people are just not really in the conference for the content, but they're just in there to have a good time with friends that they've made sure. along the way. Yeah. So that's always been something that I think is present in a lot of these back channels that accompany these events. Yeah, it sounds like the organizers can really do a lot to make the remote environment engaging and interactive through some of these experiences. And then for someone attending, it's really taking advantage of whatever's on offer, you know, and whatever like speaks to you and how you want to engage. What did we miss, Brian? What what else should people know about taking advantage of the beautiful chaos of in-person and remote events? I think one other thing I would recommend is just to make sure that the conference attendees know the layout or the lay of the land before they actually map out the schedule as well. For the in-person attendees, it always helps to know, you know, where are the exhibits or where are the vendor booths? Where's the best spot to have an actual productive coffee chat where you could hear the other person and not have to scream because the hallway is so loud? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mapping out those routes in advance, I think, makes it so that you're not shuffling at the last minute. And for example, if the conference has a happy hour, then, you know, finding even a way to signal to a person, hey, let's go meet at this place. You don't really want to meet them at the entrance because you'll have a lot of people flooding in. Uh, But instead, you could point them to either a special furniture or landmark within the vicinity and meet there. So I think that's really important for the in-person events. And for the online attendees, again, knowing where the back channels are, uh, knowing what the conference hashtag is, and taking advantage of any gamification events, like any online bingos or online scavenger hunts or online quizzes where you could win bonus prizes, perhaps a free registration next year is going to be super important. And you know, speaking of free registration, especially for those who are early in their career, I would always recommend volunteering for a conference where you can, you, you'll volunteer, you might volunteer 10, 20, 30 hours. And as a part of a reward or a thank you for the service, you can often get free registration or heavily discounted registration for that same event the following year. That's something that I know that I took advantage of as a grad student. And I know a lot of conference organizers are offering because they could always use extra hands on the ground to either help direct folks or shepherd folks from like one plenary to another, or to even, for example, curate programs where you're reviewing submissions, you're grading submissions based on a rubric, and then you're entertaining which programs would fit well for certain types of people in the audience. Yeah. What a great way to get to meet people and be part of the community as well. And almost better than being at an event in some ways for for a new person, just getting that those interactions. So that's an awesome tip. And when, when you mentioned some of the cool things people can engage with uh, on the remote side, sometimes if those things aren't happening because they are so grassroots, you could be the person to create them, right? Like yeah. start the spreadsheet and get people adding their LinkedIn to it, make some friends. So I think a lot of these things are pretty informal and casual and you got to feel the room and maybe ask for permission from the organizers, but a lot of it just sort of happens grassroots. So don't be afraid to be the person to make things happen. 
Absolutely. Possibilities are endless there. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I love this. You have such a rich understanding of all of the things that are happening at events, the bingo, the gamification. I I think events have changed a lot since the last time, maybe that I went a couple of years ago, maybe before COVID really. So it's fun to hear all the different ways that there's the sessions and there's the networking and now there's gamification and the different communities. It's inspiring. I'm excited to get out there and go to some events. Carol, we got to get you to UXRCon. Are you going, Brian, in person? Are you going to be remote for that one? I'll at least be remote if I won't be there in person. I know there's just a number of so many different <laughs> events right. happening this year. So in addition to the UXR conferences, I also attend conferences in higher ed and conferences that are just pertinent to my own hobbies. Uh-huh. So even outside of UX research, I love dabbling in Filipino martial arts. I love dabbling in skincare. There's conferences. Oh, let's talk about those types of hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> Pivot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. All right. Time for the rapid fire section. Okay. uh, Let's see. Two to three resources, a few resources that you recommend to folks uh, relevant to to UX research or what we're talking about today. Books, websites. Yeah. Absolutely. So for folks who really want to network beyond the cadence of these annual events, there are mentorship marketplaces like ADP List and Merit, both of which are marketplaces that I mentor on where you can connect with senior folks in the field and they're happy to volunteer and provide their own lived experiences and general advice to those who might be interested in learning more about how they can up-level their game in UX research or are looking for opportunities to apply to different firms, agencies, companies, and institutions. So I think for those who are really looking to have, for example, a, a regular mentorship cadence, I'd recommend ADP List and Merit as those opportunities where you don't necessarily have to go to a conference. You could schedule a mentorship session any time of the year, and that's just more based on a mentor's availability. You can filter mentors based on where they work or what they do or how senior they are in the field. So I've always found that that's super helpful. Another resource that I would recommend is Toastmasters. And Toastmasters is a great global organization that anyone, any adult can join, where they can use it as a sandbox for practicing public speaking and effective communication. A lot of the work that we do as UX researchers, I feel is about storytelling and making sure that we can communicate our our case or our argument in a really clear and articulate way. And Toastmasters for me has been a really great vehicle to practice and to get live feedback so that you can improve constantly in all the ways that you communicate, whether or not it's through prepared speeches or these ad hoc and impromptu table topics. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great one. I added this, Erin, as a new section to our rapid fire section, which is what is your favorite user research interview question? Yeah, my favorite interview question is along the lines of what's a typical day in your life like? And then when I ask that question, I would probe further for any situated practices. If I'm trying to understand certain behaviors or certain rationales or certain decisions, then I might, for example, want to understand how that consumer is doing something, for example, through a jobs to be done approach. But for me, that question, you know, what's a typical day in your life like has been a really great opener so that I can see know who they are as a human, and then probe further if I need to on the product context. Great. Nice open-ended question. Uh, where can folks find you? Where where can they connect with you, get the conversation going? 
yeah, folks can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can just search for my name, Brian DeSono, and always happy to respond to any direct messages there. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Hope to bump into you again on the interwebs or in person or wherever our paths should cross. It's great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm looking forward to interacting more with user interviews and hopefully getting to meet both of you again in person soon. Awesome. Great. See you out there. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Hey there, Awkward Silences listener. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, we always appreciate a rating or review on your podcast app of choice. We'd also love to hear from you with feedback, guest topics, or ideas so that we can improve your podcast listening experience. We're running a quick survey so you can share your thoughts on what you like about the show, which episodes you like best, which subjects you'd like to hear more about, which stuff you're sick of, and more just about you, the fans that have kept us on the air for the past five years. We know surveys usually suck. See episode 21 with Erica Hall for more on that. But this one's quick and useful, we promise. Thanks for helping us make this the best podcast it can be. You can find the survey link in the episode description of any episode or head on over to userinterviews.com slash awkward survey.